Welcome to the Fiber for Breakfast podcast, a series that discusses fiber as the critical infrastructure for today's growing broadband needs. Listen in as Gary Bolton, CEO and President of the Fiber Broadband Association, speaks with industry thought leaders and experts about connectivity issues and the impact on the remote workplace. I hope you enjoy today's discussion, which will start momentarily. And remember to subscribe and like this podcast on your favorite platform. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Fiber Broadband Association's Fiber for Breakfast. We're now in our 35th episode of 2022. Before we kick off, I'd like to thank our sponsors of Fiber for Breakfast, including our gold sponsors, Graybar and Vetro. You know, our regional Fiber Connect workshop at Copper Mountain Resort in Colorado last week was one of our best to date, as these workshops keep getting better. We expect our next regional Fiber Connect workshop in Columbus, Ohio on November 3rd to be our best ever. You won't want to miss it, so please register today. Today we have a very special Fiber for Breakfast with the leadership from our Fiber Broadband Association's Technology Committee as they unveil the latest FBA study in a session titled New Evidence and then Fiber Broadband is Changing Lives. Last week at Fiber for Breakfast we discussed Rock down to Electric Avenue, electric utilities, and their role in broadband expansion with my friend Scott Pell from FiberRise. So Scott segmented the utility market for us and helped our audience understand how rural electric co-ops, municipal uh, utilities, and IOUs are approaching broadband deployment in very different ways. Today, we're going to dive back into the latest Fiber Broadband Association's research and hear from Mike Render and the Fiber Broadband Association's uh, Technology Committee Chair, John George, and FBA's Research Vice President, Debbie Kish, and a session titled, New Evidence, NN Fiber Broadband is Changing Lives. You know, Mike Render is the founder and CEO of RVA LLC Market Research and Consulting Group. And he and his team have been FBA strategic research partners for the past two decades. John George is a senior director Solutions and Professional Services for OFS. And John has served on the FBA Board of Directors, and he is currently the chair of the FBA's Technology Committee. And Debbie Kish is a Vice President of Research for Fiber Broadband Association. And prior to FBA, Debbie was a research analyst for Gartner. So welcome, Mike, John, and Debbie. And for our audience, please type in your questions as we go, and we'll work them into the Q&A at the end. With that, I'd like to turn it over to Mike. Thank you, Gary. Well, we're going to today talk about some exciting new evidence from our consumer survey. As Gary mentioned, uh, the Fiber Broadband Association has been helping with these, uh, uh, sponsoring these consumer surveys since 2007. So very long length and very in-depth studies that uh, we've been able to do over time. So uh, next slide, I'll start to get into the to the meat of the matter here. So there are real impacts from fiber and the next slide will start to show what those are. Um, you know, one of the things that we've done this year is we looked at evidence of impact of fiber by zeroing in on a certain segment. In this case, under $60,000 in income, those of working age, to really uh, make sure that we were uh, keeping it to who would be really impacted um, and and who is most important to be impacted probably in our society today. 
So when we look at work from home on the left side in the blue box, you can see there are differences in this category between those who work from home with fiber about 59%, other types about 43%. So fiber in this category is helping to impact and enable work from home. Uh, working for a high tech firm, again, fiber almost 10 points higher than those from other uh, types of delivery method. So again, fiber is really making a difference in enabling information technology jobs, you know, the, really the jobs of the future. Uh, likewise, we had another question about using the computer in your job, the same kind of difference. So again, a significant difference. And all these differences that we're showing here are statistically significant. That is, they, they're not just related to some anomaly in sampling or whatever. Uh, with 95% confidence, we can say there real, is a real difference in the actual population. At the top, entrepreneurship is another area. Fiber, 23%, other 20.7%. Um, again, uh, more enabling of entrepreneurship, which is very important both for income for those in this category and also just education, self-esteem, et cetera. On the right, we're asking people, you know, how good do you perceive your access to healthcare to be, your access to education? And once again, those with fiber to the home have higher, rate that access considerably higher, statistically significantly higher than those who have DSL, cable, wireless, et cetera. So all in all, very important impacts. Next slide, we'll, we'll see another impact um, related to cost. And obviously cost is a very important thing right now with the inflation that we we're seeing in this in the country and over the last year and a half. So on the left, you can see the green line, that's the cost per megabit, cost per unit of measurement for fiber, or actually broadband overall. You can see it going down dramatically, about 95% over the last decade. Meanwhile, the other lines, electricity, water, natural gas, those have all crept up somewhat over the last decade. So uh, broadband is doing a good job in, in uh, meeting the needs of consumers in terms of cost. And on the right-hand side, you can see this is being led by fiber to the home. Uh, cost per megabit, 52 cents versus about five times, uh, 10 times higher for the other end of the spectrum DSL. So again, <laughs> an important cost impact, which is helping consumers. Here, we're, you know, the, the Fiber uh, Broadband Association commissioned uh, a study with among, among the technology committee about uh, 2019, I believe it was. And one of the trends that they saw was a switch in trends from moving towards urban areas from rural to urban to slowing down and stopping. And then in the pandemic year, really reversing dramatically with people starting to want to move to rural areas. The left-hand side, we can see uh, on the left, you're seeing where people live now in the sample on the right-hand side, where they would like to live if they could make the change, you know, making the, the, the necessary connections and the hassle of move and so forth. So it won't be as dramatic as that, but it, there is a desire to move less from the in the downtown areas, as you can see. The most strong increase is on uh, small rural communities, as you can see the yellow line. 
Now, people cite affordability, safety um, as very important for this move. They're, they're trading off their desires for walkable retail and exciting nightlife and so forth for nature and green space. But they do need high-speed internet. Uh, that is something that they do rate as very important. So we wanted to check and see, do we see any evidence of this in the actual data of those who have moved? So we looked at those who have moved in the study, and sure enough, almost 50% of those moved to a rural area moved to an area that had fiber to the home, 47%. And this is obviously higher than the actual, uh, you know, what you would expect randomly, because only about 31% of the rural areas have fiber available. So people are making the, def the, the decision to move to rural areas and, and fiber is enabling this migration trend. In the next slide, we'll start to talk a couple of slides about the impact on sustainability carbon output. On the left, you can see uh, the amount of output in terms of CO2 grams per user annually. And this is based mostly on power, but also on truck rolls. Uh, the data came from uh, European studies and also the Fiber Broadband Association Technology Committee did an operations expense white paper back in uh, 2019 or 20 as well. And taking the, the amount of kilowatts that was fined in all those studies, they're very similar, and then multiplying it by the amount of grams of carbon that the industry uh, expects to be used per kilowatt hour, you can see the differences. So wireless is about double what fiber is. Uh, cable is the next highest. Fiber, of course, is the lowest. So if we could move everybody online to fiber by 2030, we're re reducing emissions by uh, over a million metric tons annually, a 34% reduction in internet CO2. So just another way that uh, fiber is, is making an impact to society in general and to, to consumers. The next slide, we'll talk about indirect carbon inputs. And this is work from home. Uh, you know, broadband in general, uh, as everyone knows, allowed people to work from home. On the top left screen, you can see the, the curve, which basically shows the increase of work from home ramping up in 2020. This is work from home hours based on our survey and uh, the, the number of hours people said they worked from home, those that are working, and times uh, the amount of fewer commute miles that they also said they were taking. That was dampened a bit by the fact that they did do some more errand miles. There's some more energy use in home. But with all that, there's a significant increase uh, in savings of CO2 because of work from home. Well, we wanted to verify that. So we determined that we could look at gasoline use from the EIA in the bottom left slide in the blue line. And sure enough, it obviously took about a $20 billion decline in barrels in 2020. It's gone back up, but not to the previous levels, as you can see. When you overlay the impacts of work from home, taking the amount of work from home from our study, times the amount of, of gasoline that would be saved based on an average, uh, you know, 24.8, I think it is, miles per per uh, gallon, <clears throat> uh, then you can see that it, it tracks very closely. Now, 2020 was even lower than that because of 
also fewer travel miles and fewer air miles, but overall it does clearly track. So work from home is definitely decreasing the amount of uh, CO2 in the air. And on the right side, you can see that fiber is leading in terms of the amount of work from home uh, hours, 5.9, uh, the most hours. Now, some of this may be just correlation. Um, you know, perhaps people that are more likely to work from home are more likely to also select fiber to the home. But some of it is clearly causal. In other words, fiber to the home is enabling a more quality experience. And we, we've heard that anecdotally and in, in studies, people saying that fiber and higher quality broadband allows and enables more work from home. So just um, uh, taking as an example, 50%, making uh, that assumption that that is the amount of, of difference, a huge amount of kilotons saved annually because of fiber, both because of the direct impacts and the indirect impacts, about 50,000 kilotons, uh, about you know 11 million vehicles off the road in equivalents. So all this just to show um, uh, we, we really do see some exciting new evidence of impacts. I think with that, I'm gonna turn it over to Debbie, who's gonna talk about some impacts that, that uh, she can relate from research that she's conducted. Oh, great. Thanks so much, uh, Mike. So, you know, it's always interesting to see the positive impacts that fiber has on everything, you know, everything from environment. But, you know, in addition, uh, the FBA had embarked on a series of research where we looked at the direct impact of fiber on a community. What happened to the community after fiber was deployed? You know, was it quality of life that was better? Did it realize jobs? So the, the four that I have up here um, on, the, on the screen here is uh, Westfield, Massachusetts. So fiber has an impact um, financially on uh, jobs and revenue on any given community. So Westfield, Massachusetts, you know, in interviews uh, indicated that they had realized over $88 million annually in job-related benefits after they installed a fiber broadband network. Now, these are networks that have been in play for at least five years. So most of these are at least five to 10 years old. Um, the other one, which was sort of the poster child that um, sort of launched why we wanted to do these, uh, these studies was uh, the example in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Um, Professor Lobo had, um, had conducted a 10-year study after uh, EPB had deployed fiber broadband in their community in Chattanooga. And the economic value there, they, they uncovered after you know, running the numbers and doing the math, was that um, built on a smart grid, they used fiber as the, um, the foundation for the smart grid. You know, the fiber plus the smart grid, um, they came to a conclusion that it minimally exceeded $2.69 billion and created over 9,500 jobs. Um, we also looked at Douglas County, Oregon, and this one was kind of interesting because, you know, they, they had the um, addition to keeping the emergency system up and running after wildfires had, had come through the region. So they were able to keep healthcare facilities, education and government facilities running based on their fiber deployment. Um, Grant County, Washington was another um, that we looked at, and that, that brought in multiple data centers 
into the area and created an environment where hundreds of millions of dollars in property taxes was paid uh, since 2018. So financially, economically, um, job creation, you know, which, which I'll get to in the next slide, have all been positive impacts uh, based on fiber to the community. With all the funding that is going on with the new administration, uh, broadband is getting a lot of attention now. But in addition to creating economic value, it's creating a workforce. So fiber is about, has been around for about 35, 40 years. And this, the, right now what we're experiencing is an aging population or a lot of the people who had started in fiber broadband years ago are now on the retirement path. But we don't have the workforce right now to fill those positions and get fiber deployed. So the numbers on this slide are a little bit small to see, but if you look at things like the broadband tech technician or the fiber optic splicers, the, the, age, the, the average age in those uh, occupations is 40 plus years old. So these are people on the retirement path, but we don't see a whole lot of younger people in the 20 to 30 uh, age range. With the broadband funding from the government right now and bead money from NTIA, we're seeing that over the next five years, at least 850,000 jobs um, is going to be part of this broadband push. And that's, that's so next I'll pass it on to. Thank you, Debbie. And uh, now we'll discuss how there are real fiber to the home differences versus the other technologies that are enabling the benefits that you heard about from Mike and Debbie. So fiber to the home has real performance advantages per testing that has been done uh, through bike renders, consumer studies, uh, and fiber broadband studies. These have been done for many, many years now and showing uh, particularly in upload speeds with fiber to the home having about a 4X advantage versus the next nearest technology of cable modem. And uh, we expect that gap to increase as time progresses with a greater capacity of fiber. This will become very, very important uh, as we have new applications like uh, the metaverse and virtual reality, augmented reality, needing higher upload speeds to function properly, provide the best experience for the end user. In addition, uh, net promoter scores, uh, do people prefer fiber over other technologies? The answer is yes. There's a significant gap between fiber versus the other technologies, DSL, cable, or wireless. Uh, we're not showing here, but Fiber the Home also has significant performance advantages in download, in latency, and jitter. Uh, latency and jitter will particularly be important as we move towards these augmented virtual reality applications and everything's gotta be synchronized. A very critical to have low latency, low jitter kind of connections as well as the cost per megabit per second as we described previously. Uh, in the next slide, we're really gonna show uh, how fiber compares to the other technologies for rural areas, and this really applies to, to all areas. Um, so from a cost perspective, uh, fiber to the home is proven to be cost effective. You're seeing mass deployments uh, today, uh, and that really, to me is and to us is evidence that it's cost effective, not just for greenfield, but overbuild. Uh, got the best performance by far, uh, 50 
terabits per second, 250 terabits per second, just for one of those small optical fibers you see in that picture has got about probably 500 fibers in that. The lowest operating expense, we've got white papers explaining that as well as Mike referenced. Uh, and then future ready for decades to come. We really don't know long, how long fiber is going to last. Uh, we've got cables that we deployed 40 years ago that are still in service. Uh, the capacity perspective of fiber, we don't really see an end in the capacity of fiber supporting applications for many, many decades to come. Uh, comparing to cable modem, yeah, it's got about, uh, and hybrid fiber coax, about the same cost to deploy, but in terms of the broadband experience index that Mike has measured through his surveys, uh, it's got about 65% of the performance double the OPEX because of uh, greater truck rolls, reliability, powering, uh, and eventually that technology will have to transition to fiber. When we look at DSL, the next one, uh, deployment cost up front about the same, uh, even lower, about 38% of the uh, broadband experience uh, versus fiber, uh, triple the OPEX because uh, you know, a lot more truck rolls involved, uh, susceptibility to storms, environment, weather, and again, eventual transition to fiber. Looking at fixed wireless access, uh, that's got lower capex, but again, lower performance versus fiber, four times the opex. And when you look at the overall total cost of ownership, uh, fiber is lower than uh, wireless fixed uh, applications. And then eventually, again, transition to fiber. And then looking at uh, the geosynchronous or lower Earth orbit satellites, that may be lower capex, but the performance, uh, and we've seen the recent announcements uh, that the lower Earth orbit is falling short, uh, losing FCC funding for that technology. We don't really know the opex. There's not much experience there, but eventually that's going to transition to fiber. And it seems to be migrating towards supporting remote mobile applications where maybe there's a better fit. So overall, uh, the fiber technology, the gaps versus the other uh, technologies, uh, we believe will only grow over time as the bandwidth and latency demands increase over time with the new applications we have coming. Uh, and to sum it all up, um, we, uh, we've had a lot of great discussion today that Fiber improves lives for those of lower incomes. Fiber to the home uh, reduces the overall cost of broadband, the total cost of ownership. The cost has been reduced dramatically through many innovations over the years. Facilitates uh, the rural migration trends and helps enable that. Uh, directly and indirectly reduces carbon output. Um, and interesting to see how we've quantified that impact uh, and directly impacts and improves communities, uh, both economically as well as quality of life. Uh, helps enable more productive workforce. Um, and then we've seen the performance advantages we just discussed. We believe those advantages will increase over time versus other technologies. And certainly the best option in rural areas as we have uh, a lot of funding and deployment ahead to bring fiber across America to all Americans over time. Thanks, John. We'll just uh, move into Q&A. So to start off with, 
you know, one of, um, Jennifer, go back a slide, a couple slides to John's um, technology choice. Yeah, okay, thank you. So, John, um, you know, there's lots of, you know, we saw some Republican senators send a letter to NTIA and um, the Secretary of Commerce saying, hey, you know, the NOPA is supposed to be technology neutral. Why are you guys pushing fiber? And from your experience, and uh, this is anybody on the, the group here, but the argument is, you know, when you go to rural areas, high cost areas, they're very low density. And so um, what about when you're trying to serve these very low density areas? Isn't fiber going to be really costly? Isn't it easier just to stick in a, an antenna and try to serve those um, you know, hard to reach people? Well, it, it may seem easier up front. And as we indicate here, uh, the CapEx may be lower up front. But as the bandwidth demands have been increasing uh, 25, 30% per year, the latency uh, has got a drop over time to support the applications. Uh, it won't be long before those builds will have to be overbuilt with fiber anyway. So uh, our position is it's best to build fiber to begin with. Maybe the cost is a bit higher, but the total cost of ownership over time will be significantly lower. So it's really a one and done infrastructure when we build fiber to the home, even in the low density rural areas. Yeah, I thought um, Andrew. I had Andrew from CTC who wrote that um, white paper on fixed wireless versus fiber. And that was so detailed and so telling of how expensive and what a mistake it is to do fixed wireless in these low density areas and not even taking into consideration things like um, you know foliage and rain fade and all those environmental issues. Um, hey Mike, on this um, I was a little surprised that when you go go back Jennifer to like the first chart, Mike's first chart. So when you're looking at your study and you're saying okay for low income we're going to pick under $60,000 um, annuals income, I was surprised that you um, Pick that number, and you know. So, if you're making under sixty thousand, wouldn't by I mean, how many of those people have high tech jobs? Because wouldn't some if you had a high tech job, wouldn't you largely be paid more than that, unless you're just right out of college? Well, what they're probably not necessarily the high tech uh, positions within a high tech firm, but um, they are at least self-categorizing themselves as working for a higher technology firm. So they're not working for, um, um, you know, an oil and gas rig uh, company or something. They, they, it is a more information technology company. And I think there are low in, lower income jobs among those firms. And of course, it could be early in their career in some cases. But that's the point, I think, that fiber is enabling people to uh, move into these kind of jobs. Having it at home is, is helpful for their experience and for everything else that helps, helps obviously has helped correlate with them getting those kind of information technology jobs. So, I mean, yeah, I would think that, you know, we're right now at the beginning, right? That, um, you know, just the pandemic, everybody's relatively new to work from home last two, three years. And I would think with online schooling and all the opportunities that, more people than in rural areas would become more qualified as they had more educational opportunities and then be able to have um, the opportunities to take the higher paying jobs. So it seems yep. like it would really catapult uh, 
and I, I'm sure, Debbie, when you look at your studies going forward, that um, you know we'll see certain um, demographics and um, you know just lower income kind of catapult you know, out of this generational poverty into uh, better paying jobs and, and more careers. Um, Mike, I wanted to kind of hit on one more thing. Um, uh, Jennifer, go to the um, carbon emissions chart. So the I, I was a little surprised that um, wireless 5G had so much um, carbon output. If, if if I think of 5G, like real 5G, I'm thinking of having fiber all you know way to millimeter waves, so 500 meters from um, the subscriber. If, if you get to true 5G, well, won't that reduce the carbon footprint, or is it just the inherently with radios that they're just going to be driving a lot of um, carbon output? Yeah, well, in this case, I'm not the expert, so I can't talk to the technology too much, but um, th this was based on, some, in, in the Fiber Broadband Association study, we focused mostly on DSL cable modem versus fiber, but the European studies and even the government of Germany has really focused on this, and they say quite definitively that uh, 5G is double the carbon output of, of fiber, and that 3G and 4G are even higher than that. So I I, I can't speak to exactly why that is, but uh, uh, that's their position. That's what we use for the study. Yeah, and I would think that like you know I, I think in your indirect areas. Um, we talked about traffic and commute times. I always, you know, when I think of economic development, I think of traffic and commute times being inversely correlated to quality of life, which is kind of one of the driving forces to people wanting to move out of cities right. and, you know, high density areas to more rural, you know, kind of peaceful, um, back to nature kind of thing. Um, so when you look at, I don't think you really put in um, think autonomous vehicles and autonomous trucking and elimination of stoplights. So in your opinion, do you think as we get more fiber infrastructure out there that we can stop deploying so much asphalt and be able to really shrink you know, the road infrastructure and get rid of all these stoplights and really um, have even greater indirect impact on emissions? I definitely think so. I think you know, the inputs from less commuting time, like you say, is, is less road maintenance, it's uh, uh, less commute congestion, obviously. Um, and like you say, autonomous vehicles also will further enable rural living because you could easily uh, uh, comfortably go into the, you know, the metro area that's an hour and a half away once a week or twice a week, doing work, being productive, or doing something enjoyable, reading a book while where you're going. So definitely that will be another factor in this whole trend. But it's amazing, you know, even in some other research I was doing recently, talking to some people in California about uh, some commercial fiber projects. And two of the people of probably 20 I talked to said, well, I've got to tell you, I'm not actually living in California anymore. I'm living in Joplin, Missouri, which is mm -hmm. right up the road from where you are. I moved my family. So, you know, we're seeing this all the time. My, my children just moved uh, uh, to, to a more rural location from where they were. So it is definitely enabling more choice among among the consumer. So Absolutely. All right, and so we're out of time here, but I wanted to ask Debbie. So resiliency, you know, that's in the B um, grants and so forth. Resiliency is certainly an area of uh, focus, but that seems to be a major benefit that fiber delivers. 
you saw that like with Douglas Fastnet and so forth. Can you talk a little bit about the kind of resiliency that you saw in that study? I'm not, I'm not sure what you mean. Uh, just how you know, quickly like they were able to. They were, yeah. Forest fires and wildfire areas and being able to have weather events and uh, be able to keep their communications up. Yeah, that was it. So the people in that area were in need of wanting to know like when the fires were contained, can they still get to those resources? And um, so they had everything contained and be able to um, communicate with the community within you know days instead of letting it go on weeks and weeks and weeks. So you know any updates, you know the the people were able to get you know emergency resources very quickly. the The lines just never went down. I think that's the bottom line. So they were never out of communication range with their community. So we see that out west with having fiber, but also we see that uh, on the Gulf Coast with hurricanes by people having buried fiber to be able to be more resilient networks against weather events. Well, um, so just I just want to close by, you know, it just feels like this gap is just going to grow wider and wider. You know, we saw EPB announced 25 gig pond they're deploying, AT&T is deploying 25 gig pond. Um, right now, the, everybody's deploying um, 10 gig symmetric pond. We saw a 100 gig pond demoed by Nokia at our event. And I think we're going to be seeing terabit pond. Do you agree with that, John? Is that just our gap going to get wider and wider? Absolutely. Multiple terabit ponds eventually, Gary. And probably not, I mean, probably in this decade. I mean, it's just that things are accelerating at a very fast pace. Well, listen, I really appreciate, um, you know, Mike, all the being a great partner of FBA, and John, your leadership, and Debbie, as far as the technology committee. So thank you guys for um, these insights on your research and what you're bringing to the industry. And I want to thank our audience for joining us today. We look forward to getting back together next Wednesday. We're going to be discussing broadband and digital equity with Nate Denny, the Deputy Secretary of Broadband and Digital Equity in North Carolina. So you're not going to want to miss that. And we'll see you guys next Wednesday.